it, it really does make sense uh, that a financial agreement is entered into at the earliest possible stage. But the problem that you have with that is, is that again, that whole notion of no one enters into a relationship extended to fail. So you, you know, know, do it on the first date, do you do it on the second date? Yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So it's like you know, how do you how do you broach that conversation? Yeah. And that's a that's a difficult conversation that I have with clients. Mm -hmm. Not so much that my conversation is with them as difficult as I say, it's a difficult conversation to, yeah. to bring up with your partner. How do you how do you have that without them getting offended yeah. uh, or becoming offended by that? So it's really it's really hard to you know quantify in that respect. Sure. But from a legal perspective, the if you can enter into one, it's gonna give financial certainty. planning, money management and financial education business, helping young Australians to make smarter decisions with their money. Welcome to episode 30 of the Young Money Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Murray. I'm a financial advisor, business owner and currently living on the sunny Gold Coast in Queensland, Australia. To all of our regular listeners, welcome back to the show. And if you're new here, thanks for stopping by. The Young Money Podcast is a discussion with and about young people, including travel, lifestyle, business, relationships, and of course, money. So in my role as a financial advisor, I get to meet some pretty amazing people who all have an interesting story to share. So whether that's clients that I'm helping manage their personal finances, other business owners, or other professionals that I meet in the industry. I wanted to be able to provide a platform to share some of these amazing stories to help inspire and educate you, the listeners. Now, in today's episode, it is no different, and we're talking about the very interesting and strange topic of family law. So I'm sure I wouldn't be alone in saying that there feels like to be a lot of misinformation amongst the general public or online about what defines a de facto relationship, what happens in the event of a divorce, uh, if you go through a separation and you own a property or have children with your partner, and basically any all those things that affect us as young adults on a daily basis, what are, what are our options, what are our rights, what does the law say, and basically what happens when a relationship goes bad. So I thought it was a great opportunity to bring in an expert to discuss all of these weird and wonderful topics and my guest today is Rowan McAdam from McAdam Family Law. And as you'll hear throughout this episode, Rowan has a wealth of knowledge and expertise in the area of family law and helps to bust some of these myths um, surrounding all of those very much taboo topics, as I said, of relationships, divorce, separation, property settlements, and child custody. So strap yourself in and I hope you enjoy the episode. Now, before we get started on today's episode, this is just a friendly reminder in order to keep our lawyers happy that in preparing this podcast, myself and any contributors have not taken into account any particular person's objectives, financial situation or needs. So before acting on any of this information, you should consider its relevance to your personal circumstances. And if required, seek the assistance of a licensed professional. So, Rowan McCallum, I'm uh, 35 years of age. Wow. Okay, 35. And um, <laughs> occupation, I am a family lawyer, but I'm a director of my own practice, McAdam Family Law. Excellent. So your resume, your career kind of to, to, to date, what's in yeah, a it's, um, it's uh, relatively brief in that uh, 
I studied uh, here on the Gold Coast, um, finished school uh, at Coomba High School, uh, the northern end of the Gold Coast. Um, went to university, or graduated there in 2001. I then attended uh, Bond University uh, in 2002. I'm pretty sure I went straight into it. Yep. Um, and uh, was, was fortunate enough to get a half scholarship through high school. So I went to Bond, which was convenient because I lived on the coast my whole life. Yep. Um, studied there full time to a point where I then got a full time job uh, working as a, a law clerk in a pretty well established and renowned criminal law practice in Southport. Um, cut my studies down to part time at that time, so that extended things out quite a bit. But finally graduated, I think in about 2007, admitted in 2008, uh, and then worked as a solicitor from that point in time at that practice, primarily focused in criminal law, but then moving into family law. Okay. Um, before then jumping to another practice, uh, Gold Coast based, but which was just family law, mm -hmm. uh, all family law practice. Um, and worked my way up the ranks uh, there, uh, up until June of 2018, when I decided it was time to branch out and do my own thing and started my practice, McCadden Family Law, as of July, First 2018 and still doing that. Excellent. So yeah. Just had over had over a year. Yeah, that's it. Own. Just over a year. Yeah. So yeah, hit that anniversary, which was a which was a goal. So yeah, that's, that's good. How's it? How's it been? First year in first year in business. It's been good. It's been a, a great learning curve, but uh, you know, it's uh, it, it's been different yeah. to some degree. Obviously, not having owned a business previously, um, but it was it's good. You know, I, I just really enjoy being able to do the things that. I intended to do when I first got into law and being able to achieve those things, it's, it's been really good. So was that the main driver behind starting or branching on your own, just wanting yeah. that, that freedom or that yeah. flexibility? Yeah, look, it was, that was certainly, I'd be lying to say um, that it wasn't a part of that decision, um, but it wasn't the, the main part of it. Um, it was also, as well as that, factoring in doing what I do for a living uh, and being a family lawyer. And it means a lot to me to, yep. to do what it is that I'm doing and, and what it is that I'm dealing in with people's lives um, and, and recognising that. So um, that would have had to have been the biggest driver of doing what it is that um, I'm doing now. And that was to be able to not actually deal with clients as a number yep. um, or as a dollar sign, but to actually yeah, sure. give them a service that they need for some of the most important things in their lives, so their kids or their family yep. home or their life savings, whatever it might be. Definitely. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. So what's the, I guess, probably the simplest definition of what is a family lawyer? Um, simplest definition? So family lawyer can be a lot of things, but primarily it's, it's a solicitor who, um, who solely uh, op practices in the area of family law, which is dealing with married or de facto couples in terms of property settlement, uh, parenting yep. disputes. There's a whole raft of other areas in family law, but it's primarily focused in uh, dealing with just family law disputes. Okay. Yeah. And that's wholly solely what you do, family law. You that's it. That's do, exactly do right. Else. No, nothing else. I, as I say, I have a, a background in criminal law. Yep. That was my beginning. So I'm able to use and apply some uh, knowledge that I've you know, uh, been able to, um, to gain back at that point of, of my career. Uh, I suppose the only thing that I would say is, is that you know, I do touch into uh, domestic violence, okay. which is, I think, a bit of a, a nexus between criminal law and family law. Sure. 
because um, it does very much impact on family law situations, but it also entails criminal um, prosecution sometimes with, uh, with you know, breaching a domestic violence order. Yep. So family law, domestic violence law. Okay. Yeah. And what, I guess, drew you to that area of law? Yeah, I, uh, initially it was more that it was a, um, uh, an option or perhaps something that was given to me as a, a path at the original practice that I worked at, having started in criminal law, that was where I thought I wanted to be in. Uh, but having worked in that area for some time and the clientele and what it is that we do, <laughs> it was not that it was a problem, but when I was presented with um, the prospect of dealing in, in, in operating and practicing in family law, I jumped at it. Uh, I just really enjoyed the notion of going back to that simple premise of yep. helping people out at a pretty desperate time of their sure. need for some pretty important things. Um, and I was just able to have that insight back at that early stage um, to realise that, that that was a, yeah, that, that drew me more okay. to that area yep. than what it was that I was doing. Making a bit more of a difference with that? Yeah, I think so, you know, because I think to some degree, I think people, uh, you know, when they get into law, I think have this notion that they do want to make a difference in some way, shape or form. Um, I'd like to think so. Yeah. When, I, when I do a bit of soul searching for myself, that's certainly what I thought when I really wanted, uh, you know, when I said to myself when I was a kid that I wouldn't mind going into law. Um, then when you get into it, it's a little bit different, particularly with what it was that I was doing, it became a little bit different. But yeah. then that opportunity for family law to have a think about and to go back to those basic principles made me realise that, yeah, that's, um, yeah that, that really allowed me to achieve that ability to make a difference in people's lives, potentially. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So, a uh, typical day in the life of family lawyer, if there is one. Well, I can only speak for myself, um, in, in so far as what I do. But typical day now begins at about somewhere between four thirty and five o'clock in the morning yep. with with my daughter, who's just turned three in August. So that's an early start. It's a pilgrimage down to <laughs> our local cafe for a coffee and a baby chino, and it's still the case. That's I've been running this line for literally. 12 months and yep. it is the truth. You know, we do it every morning, <laughs> basically, if I'm not in court. But uh, that's how it begins and then just getting ready and you know, subject to whether I'm in court or not will depend on where I'm kind of going to. But it's you know, getting on my bike and living in the area, which is great, and getting into the office yep. or you know, say making my way up to, up to court, generally in Brisbane. Yep. Um, but it's just then dealing with clients. and You, you feel like you're almost living the two lives in, in the fact that obviously working at Karma yeah, a lot more ca lot casual, and you go into Brisbane, going into court setting. Like, is there's that yeah, disparity between? Definitely, because you know when when you think about a lawyer, I think more often than not, people will think, well, corporate, yeah. stuffy, suit and tie. Yeah. I think this day and age, you know, whilst that was the norm mm. uh, previously, I don't think that is necessarily the case anymore. Yeah. Uh, just the diversities of businesses and structures and how they operate, you know, it's. It's not something that's necessarily required. So, um, for me personally, I, I'm extremely happy having come from that period where it's all been about corporate suit yeah. and tie. And I love the fact that I can jump on my bike and, you know, you know. Um, you don't drive your Ferrari to work. Anymore. No, I wish. You just, you just I ride your bike. No, I, I do literally. No, the Ferrari. The Ferrari stays at home in the garage. No, I wish. Um, can't fit a babysit into a Ferrari. But um, no, no, I uh, no, I love the bike. I yeah. love the bike. It's you know, I love making a difference in that respect as well. Not having to have you know that that um, you know a smaller carbon footprint. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I, I love it. I enjoy just that 
as you say, I love the working where I work in the yep. area that I work, which is a co-working space, but then that mix of then still having that mm. corporate stuffy feel of going to court <laughs> and the suit and tie, it's just, that, that'll yep. never change, but yeah. We might get, get into this a little bit later, but what percentage of your time would be spent actually physically in a courtroom as yep. opposed to obviously the rest of the other stuff? Yeah, it's a, yeah it's a good question. Uh, it's really tough, you know, uh, particularly how family courts operate. You find yourself in court quite a lot um, uh, periods of time and then, uh, you know, for a couple of weeks because you happen to have matters listed all in this block of time. Yeah. And other times you find that you're in the office then for, you know, playing catch up for then, yeah. you know, the office work for the next couple of weeks. So it really is hard to say. Sometimes I would say 50-50, you'd find yourself when you're really you know, uh, add it all up, you'd nearly be 50% in the office, 50% in court. Yeah, okay. um, might deviate here or there, a bit on either side, but you, sure. you, yeah, it's half-half. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Well, obviously pretty excited to have you have you on board um, for the podcast, as, as we talked about um, when we are trying to tee this up, was yep. obviously the things that you deal with has a direct impact on people's lives, people's bank accounts, especially their bank accounts. Yeah. Um, and obviously with the statistics around marriage, divorce, all those fun things, yeah. um, I thought it was a pretty interesting topic to, to kind of bring up and try and obviously try and, I suppose, try and break some of those myths that yeah. I'm sure that you deal with on a day-to-day basis. I know I see and I suffer from some of those kind of misconceptions of, okay, well, what is a de facto relationship? Sure. What happens in a divorce? And, and all, those, all those fun things. Yeah. Um, so I thought it might be good to try and step through, the, when it's a typical, Obviously, it's probably not the normal, but what we would assume is the, the general kind of life stage of yeah. most adults or the, the normal adult life. Sure. Um, getting a relationship, marriage, children, property. That's it. And then obviously divorce and, and those fun things like yeah. that. Yeah, so, that's it. Um, I thought we might try and start with a de facto relationship. Sure. So most people, male or female, or same-sex couples getting into a, a domestic relationship. Yep. What defines a de facto relationship because I know from my perspective and I assume a lot of other people has always had that notion of oh, as long as you're living together for a year or two years there's that point okay yeah. you're de facto and now everything if you break up everything's halved yeah I think yeah. that's the, the, the stereotype sure sure so yeah it's 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 the definition of de facto is is not as clear cut as what you'd like when you ask what's the definition mm. there's a lot of factors that get brought into play about determining well from a court's perspective what is a de facto relationship, but the most important things to, uh, to, to look at, first and foremost, is, as you mentioned, is uh, duration. Um, yeah. It goes without saying to some degree that it's accepted that a de facto relationship in terms of length is generally one that is ongoing for at least two years. Okay. Um, that would be, whilst it's not solely required, it's something that to some degree is yeah. uh, when, when determining whether a de facto relationship exists or not. Exists or not. So it's definitely two years. Um, people sometimes think it's a year or people just think the mere fact that you start living together, um, not the case. But okay. generally two years is the, is the magic number, as it were, yeah. that's looked at. But then there's a whole raft of other things that also get brought into the equation, such as you know, cohabitation, um, geography, such as you know, your connection to the particular state in which you're residing, um, financial dependence, um, you know, how you're perceived to friends, family, the public generally, um, you know, sexual relationship, all of those things, parenting, if there's children involved, yep. all of these things get thrown into the mix, which are 
non-exclusive. You don't have to have all of them. You don't yeah. have to have just one of them. You can have a combination of them, or you could just have a couple of it. It really just depends. So it makes it a bit difficult sure. to be able to give that clear-cut definition. Yeah. But I think the starting point for anyone considering, wondering whether they're in a de facto relationship is at least two years is, you know, is a good, is a good starting point yeah. for any person. Okay. Yeah. So that would be the, the start of a, a relationship. Yeah. Um, and then if we fast forward, what for whatever reason that, that relationship breaks up. Yep. Um, obviously, no no pets, no house, no kids. There's probably a, a lot cleaner um, yep. split. Yep. But once we start adding those things in, what happens in the event of, all right, we own a property together, we're in a de facto relationship. Yep. Is it different to that of if we're married or is it treated, treated the same? It's, it's much treated the same. It really just comes down to then the duration of the relationship. It comes to the contributions that were injected by the parties to acquire that property in that yep. circumstance. So the Family Law Act will treat a de facto couple the same as how they would, to some degree, just the same as how they would deal with a married couple in terms of a property division. If it's established that there's a de facto relationship, they'll start using the same principles that they would use for a married couple to determine, well, yeah. how is it that the property will be divided between them? Okay. Yeah. Have you got any any interesting stories of, I'm just thinking the probably the interesting one would be when someone's arguing de facto yeah. and other partners saying, no, we, we weren't. Yeah. Do you, do you come across You do that? come across that. You, you do come across that um, a bit. Uh, and and that can get complicated and it can take up a lot of time too yeah. because that in itself is a is a legal argument. You know, that whole <laughs> issue of, well, we weren't in a de facto relationship. It's not just as simple as showing bits and pieces. It really yeah. It's a really in-depth legal argument. But you do come across it quite a bit. Um, and do they, do they rely on, like you said, one of, the, one of the limbs being the public perception or family and friends perception? Is, yep. Is it a case of them coming forward and saying, we believe this, we believe that relationship and having that argument? Like, does it go that, as that, that far? Yeah, they do. They bring in all of those things. You know, you'll, you'll present evidence to support that you were, you know, living together for a set period of yeah. time, that you had joint bank accounts, that, um, you know, uh, this is the level of dependence that you had on one another. So all of those things. Yeah start coming out of the woodworks and um, you know, documents to support or evidence to support what you're saying. So yeah, it uh, gets pretty in depth. Rabbit hole. Yeah, it does, it does, yeah. And it's, 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 it's not that it's a shame, it's necessary sometimes, mm. but it's that in itself, as I say, before you can even get to the substantive issue of division of property, you're dealing with this mini trial or mini yeah. you know, uh, legal battle, which in itself can be pretty time consuming. Yeah, but yeah. So what tips would you give someone if they are entering into a de facto relationship? Uh, going back to those kind of three things, buying a, uh, getting a pet together sure. or buying a house. Um, obviously children, we can, we can touch on yeah. that later, but sure, I, sure. I think those would be the kind of the, the initial steps that we would generally see yeah. in a relationship get a pet or yeah it's it's funny i saw you know pets is something which does come up every now and then and people get attached to pets uh and understandably so yeah um pets though obviously whilst some people treat them like children they're not they're not children <laughs> yeah. so the laws that apply when it comes to um parenting well, arrangements apologies like, for all the, all the, all the pet owners <laughs> that's it <listeners>. yeah <laughs> exactly it's not as if they're gonna the court is gonna run a uh, a proceeding based on yeah, who's going to get um, um, fluffy or whatever they're called. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, pets are, are treated like assets. Okay. And it sounds a bit silly, 
But if you don't treat it like an asset, well, how do you deal with it is the question that, that comes across yeah. you know, uh, from a solicitor's perspective. You have to treat it with a value, which you wouldn't treat a child that way, yeah, and, sure. you, and you can't, and, and nor should you. But a pet is difficult to quantify because it, it, it's treated a particular way, yeah. but yet um, in terms of the law, but in terms of how people you know, care for the, that pet, it's like a child. So it crosses that, yeah. that confusing threshold. So uh, in terms of what it is that couples can do when it comes to pets, not much. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe get it registered in your particular name yeah. and treat it that way. And if you want to retain the pet, then maybe that gives you the legal ownership of yeah. the. Uh, if it became a bit nasty, there's not really much you can do when it comes okay. to, to pets, which is the unfortunate. You have to treat it like an asset. Yeah. Um, property, however, is a little bit different. Uh, there are things that people can do to protect their interests. Um, First and foremost, people, the difficulty with it is that people never go into a relationship expecting it to fail. Yep. And so the things that you can do, people just don't do because yep. why would you, uh, why would you, why would anyone need that? No one intends to break yep. out. We're sure. going to stay together for, you know, for a long, long time and invariably it doesn't happen that way. Yep. But, you know, things that you can do um, is you can enter into special agreements, um, legal agreements, which uh, document in essence, what is going to happen in the event of a separation. Yep. So for a property, if it's jointly owned, then the agreement can stipulate that the property is you know, sold and proceeds divided evenly or equally um, or by any percentage that they nominate, yep. uh, that one party might buy the other one out, whatever the situation might be. And that's generally called a financial agreement. Okay. Um, but that's something that people can do yep. um, in anticipation of entering a de facto relationship or being in one and um, you know buying assets with one another yeah okay yeah and is there anything bef before that legally that they can do or does it go from next to nothing besides kind of having a conversation to then the first legal step would be a binding financial agreement yeah in in so far as an agreed step to yeah. protect everyone's position you know there's without going into you know property acquisition and having it in joint names and sure. things like that yeah. but just focusing on the family law side of things there's, there's not much else that really anyone can do. Yeah. Um, to do nothing means that it's, yeah, it's up in the air. So really the only thing that you can do prior to any dispute to protect one's interests or respective interests is, is a financial agreement. Yeah, and that's what obviously in America they call prenup? Yeah, yeah colloquially known as, yeah, prenuptial agreement. Yeah. Um, but that's right, that's what they're more commonly, commonly known yeah. as. Um, and they could be entered into by de facto couples, by married couples, and it can be prior to or the early stages of a relationship or anticipation of entering into a relationship, marriage and cohabitation, and then after yeah. separation, you can enter into an agreement here in Australia, okay. um, into an agreement, a financial agreement, any of those stages. And that's a, more of a settlement to say, okay, this is what's happened. Yeah. And yeah, that's exactly right. So compared to obviously the beginning, you know, this is what will happen in the event of separation yeah. or entering into that same agreement after separation, it's more, well, we've separated this is what we're going to agree to do to the division of our respective yeah. or joint assets. Okay. So maybe if we dive a little bit deeper into the process around a, a binding financial agreement, because I know for myself and a number of clients we've spoken to that it's needed yep. and then it all gets too hard, maybe it's too expensive in some cases and then it just doesn't get done, Sure. Um, which is the scary part Yeah. Um, from obviously where I sit and don't want that to, to end up getting to that point, but yeah. obviously put that protection in place. So. What would be the steps involved? When I guess probably when would it 
be needed or when would you see the, the most need the most need for it look it's uh, again it's uh, it, it really does make sense uh, that a financial agreement is entered into at the earliest possible stage but the problem that you have with that is is that again that whole notion of no one enters into a relationship extremely <laughs> far so do you, you know, do it on the first date do you do it on the second date yeah, exactly <laughs> right so it's like you know how do you how do you broach that conversation yeah. that's a that's a difficult conversation that I have with clients mm. not so much that my conversation is with them is difficult as I say it's a difficult conversation to yeah. to bring up with your partner how do you how do you have that without them getting offended yeah. uh, or becoming offended by that so it's really it's really hard to you know quantify in that respect sure. but from a legal perspective the soon, if you can enter into one it's going to give financial certainty yeah. um, but the problems that you've got from a um, you know, social science or emotional standpoint, <laughs> I can't, I can't comment on those. But I just, I appreciate and accept it would be difficult yeah. to have that conversation. It just, it brings about mistrust. Sure. It brings about a whole raft of things. And so, but leaving all that aside, yeah, yeah. the sooner you can do it, the better. Yeah. So I, I, I generally see it as if there's an unequal, like if you start in a relationship unequally in yep. terms of, so maybe someone's bringing in a successful business and a, a large pool of assets or a large inheritance or something like yeah. that to the relationship and it, you start off and it's, it's unequal. Yeah. Then that's when I kind of try and bring up that conversation about, hey, it could be worth considering. Yeah. Again, not saying that you're ever going to break up. Yeah. I think that's generally one side that, that I have that conversation around. The other part being um, if someone's had a split and gone through a nasty Some breakup yeah. before, then it's like, yeah. okay, well, this is a little bit easier topic to bring up because obviously the, the person is naturally going to be yeah, cautious. Yeah, definitely. It's it's one of those things where the majority of um, clients that I have who are wanting to enter into a financial agreement, more often than not, I don't know the percentages um, and whether this applies across the board, but certainly from my experience, the clients that I have that want to enter financial agreements are ones who have previously separated, yeah, okay. who have gone through the roller coaster yeah. that is, or maybe the circus that is, you know, yeah. a family law property division. They realise that these things are important yeah. and that whole, you know, hindsight, you know, had I done this, then this could have all been avoided. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, more often than not, it's clients who have actually gone through it. That's an easy way of broaching yeah. the conversation. But, um, but you're right also, people who bring in more than the other party, a yeah. good reason to, but I can still imagine a difficult <laughs> conversation a to conversation. have. Exactly. I don't think there's, I don't think the conversation gets any easier. Yeah. Justification perhaps makes yeah. it a little bit easier to sure. justify, but yeah, it's still a tough conversation to have. Yeah. But yeah. The sooner you do it the better. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm sure we could probably spend a do a two hour workshop on yeah. the process of getting in place a financial agreement. But yeah. is there maybe just a summary of in terms of what's involved um, the costs potentially sure. or the estimates um, and yeah, the general yeah. process. So the, the requirement for a financial agreement, in order for it to be a legally binding document, it's necessary for both of the parties to be legally represented. Okay. It can't be something which the parties just agree to on, on their own. Uh, there is a requirement pursuant to the Family Law Act that the parties both independently receive legal advice and there are things that are required as part of that legal advice. And is that but a state-based law or is that Australian? Family Law Act is, is a, a federal piece of okay. legislation, yep. except for Western Australia who have their own set of rules and <laughs> yeah. laws over there. But outside of okay. Western Australia, it's a federal piece of legislation for all other states. Yep. Yeah. So it requires that uh, independent legal representation for both parties. 
Uh, and uh, insofar as costs, it all really varies depending sure. on who's going to prepare it um, and obviously what practice prepares the document. Yeah. But invariably you find that the, the solicitor who's going to prepare the document will have to undertake a little bit more work than the party that's not preparing it. Yeah, okay. And so the cost will be more for perhaps that party than, yeah. than the other. Yeah. Do you... Do you deal much in, in, on the binding financial agreement side of things? Like, do you do a lot of those? Yeah, look, it's yes and no. And that in itself is pretty complicated yeah. from a legal perspective. And I won't bore you with that. Sure. But only because um, it is something that I do, as I suppose the short answer to it. But it's something that you find solicitors yep. steer away from, funnily enough, because of the complications that come sure. with a financial agreement um, being legally binding into the future. Yeah. Um, in essence, uh, there's been recent uh, case law that's come through that has really put a question mark on to the validity mm. of financial agreements and really to cut to the nub of it, solicitors get concerned because of these agreements not being binding. Yeah. They're normally known as binding financial agreements, but more often than not, solicitors are now referred to them as financial agreements because gotcha. they're not binding. Okay. Um, so yeah. that's why you'll hear me always say financial, financial yeah. agreement, okay. um, which is the same, yeah. same thing. But um, more and more you find solicitors steering away from preparing these documents because they know that they're not binding yeah. and it leaves them liable for potential um, claim by by their client by someone into the future so yeah it's it's uh, it depends some practices Mm. adopt a a view do not do them not at all go somewhere else some practices enjoy that they um, that other practices don't and they invite they take them on knowing for well the risk and other practices like myself again on a case by case basis will, will determine you know, uh, which ones we're happy to, you know, assist with and which ones perhaps we're not. Okay. Yeah. But the long an- that's a long answer. Mm. And, and the short answer is, yeah, I do them, but it depends. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, because it's a, as you said, there's a need for it. Um, yeah. But the process involved, the, uh, it's probably easy to see why most people... Yeah, it's a shame because it's, it's, so, it's important to have that financial certainty, but then you need solicitors to do it. But all of a sudden you have solicitors who are saying, oh, we don't want to do it. Yeah. Um, so a bit of a interesting situation yeah. but leaving aside the complexities that come with the law and the concern that provides the solicitors from a legal side if parties can enter into one and uh, it can be done properly pursuant to the law then it is worthwhile getting yeah. one done okay excellent so if we think about progressing down the the relationship sure we've gone from de facto yep we decide to get married yep how does that change the, the legal, or if it does, does it change the legal relationship? Yeah, yes and no. Um, obviously, it changes the, t- the legal title of, of the status of the relationship. But again, um, as we spoke about before, de facto relationships are treated similarly okay, so. to how married couples are yep. um, under the Family Law Act. So in, insofar as does it, uh, do they get treated differently? No, not, not really. Um, again, it all comes down to case by case basis. You know, of course, uh, uh, you know, a de facto, a de facto relationship or a couple who are in a de facto relationship that um, go uh, that, that stay in a de facto relationship for ten plus years, say, are obviously going to be treated differently to a couple who have been maybe in a relationship for a year and then married her for a year. Yeah. And then therefore, in total, if they're separating, 
have only been in a relationship for two years, they get treated differently. You think, well, marriage yeah, does that not okay. make that does that not make that more important? Or yep. well, no, it's all case by case. So again, de facto relationship, it's considered under the Family Law Act as a valid relationship. Well, if it is a valid de facto relationship, they'll apply the same principles that come for yep. a married couple, and to some degree, that will result in a different outcome to. Interesting. You know, that, that married couple for two years or yeah. for one year, whatever it might be. So it's all case by case. Because, yeah, that, that is interesting because I guess the, the natural thought of, okay, that person's married, then they go up in yeah. terms of the... As, yeah, as no, there's no, there's no, no real difference there. You know, it does change things. It changes the legal statuses of, yep. status of one's relationship. But no, as I say, it's, it's, all, it's all case by case. It all yep. depends on the circumstances and the situation. Okay. Yeah. So obviously... Binding financial financial agreement aside, yeah. um, any other tips or recommend, recommendations or suggestions for someone that is entering into a marriage? Um, legal tips, not, <laughs> not personal tips. Yeah. <laughs> legal tips. Um, restricting it to I don't have I don't have much experience in terms of um, personal tips. I'm you know married or well, I'm happily married, so yeah. you know. I, I don't have a, a wealth of all of the relationships <laughs> to draw on anyway, so uh, which is a good thing. But in terms of um, in terms of legal tips, um, look, it's there's there's not much that you can do in so far as outside of a financial agreement yeah. that um, can really protect you in so far as you know assets that are that are acquired in the lead up or during. It's there's there's not much else that you can that you can really do. There's Getting to the, you know, putting properties into names or joint names, or whatever, yeah. you know, there's those types of things, but I think that's starting to get a little bit too kind of, you know, sinister, I suppose, yeah, in, sure. in terms of it. But, you know, yeah. from a legal perspective, you know, from a family law perspective, um, financial agreements are certainly things that you can do to protect, yeah, yeah protect people's interest in the event of separation. Mm. Obviously, like we joked about doing your on the first date, second date, third date, yeah, but it, it's, it's that interesting one of, Okay, at what point, and even like from a financial perspective that, that yeah. I see, like if you start dating someone mm -hmm. and you're in a lot of debt mm -hmm. and obviously you're, you're embarrassed by that and, and that might bring strain on the relationship, yeah. at what point do you, do you bring up that subject? And sure. on the flip side, if you've got a lot of money, mm -hmm. obviously people might judge you differently if, you, if they know you're quite wealthy or yeah. um, in a lot of debt. So at what point do you bring up that, oh, okay, yeah, sure. I've got millions of dollars that I inherited. Sure. Um, and as well, I've got million dollars of debt. Like, yeah, sure. It, it's always that interesting one of, and it's, yeah. a, it's a similar kind of thing of, okay, well, when are we, at what point in the relationship do we bring it up that it's yep. not that, well, why, why are you talking about this? Do you plan on breaking up with me? Or, mm. or do you think this relationship's going to end? That's it. Yeah, I think that though, it, the, the thing is, is I think that just then spills over into that <laughs> the personal side, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, uh, you know, whether you have the conversation or not is, is more of a personal decision mm. than it is anything else. But from the perspective of I have all this money, well, again, as you said before, it makes sense to acknowledge that and to protect that. Yeah. Um, and that's not with the view of hoping or thinking that the relationship's gonna fail. It's just, it's just being um, safe and being cautious, uh, particularly if the other party hasn't brought anything into the equation. There's that um, inequality, as it were. Yeah. Um, the debt side of things, well, that's an that's a interesting and a curly question, I suppose, yeah. you know, to bring that up and to, again, but in so far as the legal perspective, mm. yeah, not much, not much you can else really do other yeah. than 
yeah, what we've discussed. So tip, tips are around it. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Basically, yeah, choose the right time. Yeah, yeah. So when that is, everyone, everyone's going to be different. Yeah, definitely. yeah. So progressing on, married. Generally, obviously, this may not be in order for given sure. today's age. Things, yeah. things in the order of, of steps are different. But yep. we go to starting a family, having children. Yep. Um, now that obviously is a big step up from getting the pet together. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> So what are the things to consider when, when children are involved um, in a relationship? Um, yeah, look, it's, from, a, from a family law perspective, mm. again, it's, there's, dealing from a financial perspective, there's things that you can do. Yeah. And from a family law, those things are limited. And obviously from what it is that you do, there are a lot of things. Sure. From a family law perspective, family law is, particularly when it comes to parenting, is... is is more reactive than it is being proactive. Um, There's nothing you can do. You can't enter into an agreement like you can with property as to how the kids are going to be cared for um, uh, in the event of separation. Just, you can't do that. It's not not something that the the law provides for. So in terms of, from from a family law perspective, what can you do? Not much. Not much. Not much. You know, it's all about, well, what does the law provide for when yeah, there is separation, yep. there's dispute associated with the ongoing care of children. So, yeah, not much. So if we, we dig into that a little bit deeper, what what happens in the event, event of a breakup? So we've got a, a married couple, yep. or de facto couple in that case. Yep. If there's children involved, yep. one or multiple, yep. What ha, what's the, the proceedings if in the event of a split? Yep. How does that, how, how that rise at, at Yeah, Yeah, so, you know, again, it's all case-by-case case basis, but the, the law hopes and, and requires um, at first instance that parties will have at least have an attempt to try and resolve, just focusing on parenting. Yeah. Um, you know, they'll, they'll have an ability to try and negotiate and, and come to an agreement um, in relation to the ongoing care of kids uh, without court intervention. Yeah. So first and foremost, that's what courts want. If that can't be done privately between the parties, then again, um, as part of that process, the court does, or the law does want parties to attend upon a special process called family dispute resolution. And just before they get to that <laughs> step, if what's needed to prove that they've re- if, if they reach an agreement between themselves privately, yep. what's needed to prove that? Is it a... Uh, so, yeah, so parties can, parties can enter into an agreement in a couple of ways. Um, it can just be, you know, uh, a verbal goodwill agreement. Yep. Uh, that's possible to do, and people do do that. It's not something that's necessarily advised because um, only a very it requires it requires a lot of cooperation between parents, and it's only a small percentage, unfortunately, yeah. um, in in the reality of things that uh, have that amicable relationship with one another. But that is an option. Sure. Um, so uh, goodwill. Uh, then there's the ability for parties to enter into what's known as a parenting plan, and that then is a uh, a document which is uh, well, it's, a, it's a, uh, an agreement converted into a written document, and preferably signed and dated by the parties. Yeah. Uh, which again stipulates in writing what it is that the parenting arrangements will be for the kids. That in itself, though, is not a, a legally binding document. It's not an enforceable document. Okay. And again, something which is not that it's not recommended. It's required that solicitors are required to advise clients and parents and people going through. Yeah parenting disputes to be aware of a parenting plan but because of its unenforceability to some degree and because of um, again the concerns that come with non-compliance it is an option but uh, not one that's generally 
taken up as, as, as often as what the law would like people to do for those reasons. But that's another option. And then finally, there's, there's what's known as a consent order. And that is, again, converting the agreement into a written document. But that then gets submitted to a court, okay. um, to the family court. It's reviewed. It's considered. If it's considered in the best interest of children, the court will make it. And then that then becomes a legally binding and enforceable document. Okay. So do, do there's a court and the, the law kind of only get involved in the event of a dispute? So if, if there's a split, is it only if one parent raises a dispute to say, I'm not happy with the out this outcome? That's, yep. that's only when it... So if, if there's no dispute raised by either party, then it's just that's a mu it. mutual agreement. All right, we agree that you're going to look after the kids these days yep. and, and these days, and yep. then that's, there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's only when the husband, wife, or, or same-sex couple, someone who raises an issue. Yes. And then that's when it gets escalated up, up the chain. Yeah, that's right. So in its simplest, if there's just no agreement in relation to the care arrangements associated with children um, and there's no ability for that to be achieved by the parties independently or with the assistance of uh, mediators or with the assistance of solicitors, uh, well, in that circumstance, sometimes court intervention is required. Okay. Um, there, are other, there are other circumstances upon which you can find yourself into a court uh, with regards to parenting that's not just simply off the back of a dispute between parents about the care arrangements. It could be that there is a care arrangement in place but something's happened significantly which they need some urgent intervention. Yep. Um, so for instance, if there was threats being made by a parent to relocate sure. um, you know, in a state or overseas and that wasn't consented to, then that's a reason why, why you might find yourself in court to try and avoid that from happening. Yep. Um, but to the point uh, of what you were raising, yeah, it's generally when there's just no ability for the parties to reach an agreement themselves and they need the court intervention. Okay. And then is there a set process that uh, once those kind of boxes are ticked to say, yep. okay, there's, there's a plan, there's, there's a lawyer, and there's a, there's a process that you go through yep. to reach, a, reach an outcome? Yeah, yeah, there is. So, you know, there's that, I, I try and break into two. There's the pre-court process and then there's the, the, the court process. But the pre-court process, um, as we alluded to before, it does require the parties to try and negotiate themselves. If they can't do it themselves, then to involve a process called family dispute resolution, which is, in essence, a mediation okay. with an independent party yep. to try and help facilitate um, an agreement between the parties. Um, but failing an agreement in that context, you, you then are able to ask the court to intervene. And that in itself then has its own processes associated with that, which in its really simplest form, it's the court and a judge being allocated the matter and ascertaining the, the circumstances of that particular matter, but it does also involve um, a third party, a family consultant, to come in, interview parties, assess the situation and provide recommendations associated with um, parenting of children. So it's simplest. So yeah. there, is a, there is a process, it's a detailed process, yeah. but that's, yeah, that's the main step associated with the court process. Yeah. So not, not a fun process for anyone, really? Look, it's not. It's, it's never a fun process because invariably, if you, as you said before, if you're in court, it's because there is a dispute. Yeah. And with family law, it's, it's high emotion. It's all emotion. Yeah. And um, the problem that you have with emotion and thinking emotionally is it's more often than not, it's irrational yeah. thinking as well. And so um, all of that is a perfect storm or a combination to it not being a fun experience. And then when you throw solicitors into the mix who perhaps like to buy into the motion, um, then you, you, it's a recipe for disaster. Um, and it does, unfortunately, then have that bad label of it not being a very fun process. Yeah. Um, 
but even all that aside, it's, it's not a it's not a fun process at all. Even if it's to some degree amicable, or sure. it's not as um, bad as what you you often hear. Um, but uh, it's 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 a necessary process. The process, I believe, is is um, is is a good process to achieve an outcome. But there are some significant problems with the with the system at the moment, which yeah. is what's brought about recent uh, recommendations from the top, you know, okay. for, uh, about reviewing the family law system. But in itself, the process that is there is is a good process. It's just trying to make it more um, accessible to to the public and trying yeah. to get rid of the backlog, amongst other things. Okay. So again, in in the event of that the separation, yep. How does what happens with the children, and then what happens with the finances? Yep. How does that does that get treated separately? Is it different? Yeah, they they, they are treated differently. Yeah. Um, they're two different areas of the Family Law Act, but then they do also intertwine with okay. one another because they are inextricably linked. Um, for instance, you know uh, how a a property uh, pool might be divided is going to take into account the care arrangements associated with children, how how uh, much time a child or children is spending with one parent over the other will dictate how much property is divided in that party's favour. So yeah. it does intertwine, but the long and the short of it is is that they are dealt with separately, but there are times where they, they intertwine yeah. with one another. Okay. Yeah. So I guess we, we maybe um, skimmed over that a little bit uh, quickly in terms of the financial pool. Yeah. So, so talk to me about what happens in, in that case. So again, there's a dispute raised yep. in, in the event of the divorce. They can't come to an agreement themselves. Yep. They come and seek your services, or one party does, I assume. Yeah. Um, is it a matter of, okay, let's put everything in, find out exactly what's what's involved, properties, yep. super, bank accounts, let's put everything in, yep. and then we're going to come to some, some sort of agreement of who gets how much and, yeah. and what? Yeah, in the simplest form to some degree, yeah, there's a, there is a, a, a process that isn't um, a legislative process, but it is one that has been um, established as being the way upon which the law and practitioners should determine how it is that the property pools are divided, speaking about property. Yeah. But it's a, in essence, it's a five-step process. Um, the first step is, is for the law to figure out, well, should we... Is it, is it just and equitable for us to intervene and to split parties' property interests? Um, that's a bit of a legal question, and I, yeah. I won't bog you down <laughs> with regards to all of that. But it really is, you know, if you have a if you have a, a relationship that is a long-term relationship, children, then the law will say in that circumstance more often than not, yeah, well, there's a reason for us to invoke our power to separate property of parties. Yeah because of the fact that there's a long-term relationship. There's a lot of contributions made by them. It makes sense to do that. Whereas that might not necessarily apply to a couple who you know, have been in a relationship for you know, a couple of weeks. You know, yeah, the okay. law might say, well, I'm not going to involve ourselves because it's not necessary for us to do so. It's a yeah. real, really simple explanation to that. But that's, that is the first step. But once that has gone past, it's more the following steps which figure out the process of yeah. determining how it is that pools are divided. But first and foremost, as you say, it's figuring out what is the pool, what is it that the parties need to um, have divided between them. So that's all your assets, your liabilities, superannuation, any financial resources. Figure out what that is. That's you, first and foremost. Have you come across many cases where they try and hide what they... Oh, always. Always. <laughs> always, yeah. If it's, if it's not a hiding, um, although, you know, there's disclosure requirements, so you have to disclose everything. Yep. So if it's not hiding, it's diminishing. You know, it's about, okay, this is the pool, but we're just going to diminish the pool, you know, if it's a bank account, all right, well, we're going to 
slowly have funds leave that account and go yes. somewhere, you yeah. know? So you have a lot of, you, you do have a lot of that. And does it, I, mean, I, I, I kind of think of like a point system, like, all right, if you didn't disclose this and we found out that's like a negative, does it work on that kind of system? No. Like, all right, you, yeah. or did they just say, okay, I'm sorry, Here, here's that superannuation oh, account. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it just depends. It, again, it depends on the, you know, what it is that you're referring to. It's yeah. bit, it'd be a little bit of a, tough explanation to provide if you say, oh, I'm sorry, I neglected to tell you about that property that I had, uh, you know, in, yeah. in far north Queensland, you know, yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. Those things are a little bit, um, you know, they come with a bit of criticism if you're trying <laughs> to hide those things. But obviously for smaller things, you know, again, the, the law requires full disclosure, absolutely yeah. everything. But yeah, there are different levels, of course, associated <laughs> with different bits and assets. But yeah, you do have, you do get it quite a lot, you know. And how much of it is up to the parties to decide themselves? Like, if it gets to that case where we, there's lawyers involved and we're at that point, is it a matter of me saying, okay, I want this, but I'll give you that? Like, sure. is, it, is it that kind of negotiation? Yeah, look, it's, it's, that's the thing too that a lot of people don't realise is that, um, I suppose they believe when it comes to a family law property settlement that you have to figure everything out and you have to sell it all. Yeah. You liquidate everything yeah. and you have to split it that way. No, it doesn't have to happen that way. It can happen that way if you mm. wanted to. But, you know, the, the control and the negotiation as to how things are divided, it doesn't really matter as to how it is divided, just that it's divided in a way that is per agreement between the parties, but yeah. also is fair according to the law based on the circumstances of the party. So, you know, as you say, if you had a property that was the only asset and it was agreed that it was... A division of 50% to keep it really simple. Yep. You can sell it and then split the proceeds after mortgages and other sure. things have been paid. Yep. You, know, you can do that, do it that way. Or alternatively, if one party says, oh, I want to keep it, I want to refinance it, well, as long as if they if the other party's happy with that, as long as they then get what constitutes what would be 50% of its value, yep. they can pay them out that way and then refinance and transfer the property into that person's sole name. So there's a lot of ways in which mm. you can do it. It's not just your sell it, you know, liquidate yeah. everything, split the money and then walk your separate ways. Sure. Yeah. And I, I guess in, in that scenario, that probably leads into what we were talking about previously around the financial agreement. Yeah. And I've had some cases where there wasn't an agreement of how the property was going to get valued. Okay. So the one person came through and said, okay, I'll, I'm going to get this value up. Yep. Whether they paid them extra to value more or, or less, sure. depending. I think yep. that, was, that, was, that was the contentious issue because... Yep. The person who wanted to refinance, who wanted to purchase the whole property, uh, the partner came in and said, oh, it's valued at this much, which was way over. Sure. But there was, wasn't that agreement of, okay, yeah. you're going to get a value, I'm going to get a value, we'll get an independent value. Yeah. yeah. That was obviously... Yeah. Uh, that. And that's that, that, I think, goes back to that point of why sometimes solicitors are reluctant to yeah. dive into it, because you really have to, depending on what type of agreement you're preparing, if it is that one where it's in anticipation of separation, you've really mm. got to think about as much yeah. as humanly possible. And that's that's sometimes a very difficult thing to do. Yeah. But you know, you've got to think about, well, okay, how's the property going to be valued? You know, if the parties don't separate, if they stay in a, a de facto relationship for five years and there's a property, well, the property valued now is going to be much different in five years' time, yeah. whether good or bad or otherwise. So yeah, yeah you've, got to, you've got to think about all of those things to avoid that conflict. Mm. And that's why you do get, that, that's just potentially one reason why yeah. solicitors kind of steer clear of it, yeah, to avoid definitely. that liability. So then they come to an agreement, it's agreed that partner one's gonna get so-and-so, yep. partner two's gonna get uh, the balance. Then, as you said earlier, there's a settlement agreement that says 
we're comfortable, we're done, we cannot, like, is that kind of puts it in concrete to say, okay, we can no longer come back. In two years' time, I change my mind and realise that that property is now worth a lot more than I originally thought or yeah. the, the prices are going up. That's it, exactly, yeah. So if you, if you reach an agreement, regardless of how you get there, um, in relation to property settlement, then two ways in which you can document that agreement in a legal way. You can either enter into a financial agreement. Yep. So as I said at the beginning, we talked about uh, when you can prepare them. You can do them prior to, during a relationship or after separation. Okay. So that's one way. The other way is a uh, consent order. Um, the differences between, the, they're both the same thing in that they're documenting the agreement reached. But the biggest difference is, is that the financial agreement, it's, I explained it like a bit of a contract. It's signed off on by the parties and their legal representatives, and that's it. As soon as it's signed and all the boxes are being ticked about the requirements of it being complied with pursuant to the law, that's it. Yeah. That's all that needs to happen. Whereas a consent order, same thing, you document the agreement, but it's not, it's not signed off on by the solicitors, and that's it. It is signed off on by the parties, but it's yeah. sent to the court. Okay. And then the court consider it, and they consider it according to the law yep. and they then say, okay, is it, is it a fair outcome? Is it a just and equitable one? Okay, great. We're happy with that. We'll stamp it and um, approve it and send the orders back to the parties. And then you have that situation where in both those circumstances that yes, in a year's time, two years time, again, there's circumstances where it can change, but they're, they're, they're there to provide that finality so that in one, two years time, there's not going to be that knock on the door saying, yeah. you know, I want another bite of the cherry, as it were. So, yeah. yeah, that's the way in which you avoid that from being, from happening. Okay, excellent. Very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> it's, 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 there's so many things that, you know, come with that, you know. Yeah. It's, it's not just that's, it'd be great if it was a clear cut as that. There are circumstances which you could still enter into those documents and they can be set aside. But again, that's a rabbit hole which we won't go down. But in its sure. simplest form, yeah, those documents are, are supposed to give parties, depending on, uh, on the financial agreement side, but the consent order, they're, they're there to give parties finality to move on confidently that there's not going to be you know, additional claims made now into yeah. the future. Okay. Yeah. So we, we obviously you would have seen on Instagram, put a few put a, uh, questions up to see what, yeah. what the audience or listeners wanted to know around family law and there's probably thousands of questions that probably didn't get asked sure. due to privacy and issues and relationships and things like that but yep. we touched on one already, already around pets what happens around around pets which is sure. a fun one yeah um, the second one was when or what's required to make a divorce legal like is there a requirement to say we are legally divorced yep so it's um, there's not necessarily a requirement as such although it's advised that if parties are married and they separate that they should go through the process of, of formally um, divorcing I suppose one thing to clarify is, is that people confuse, you know, property settlement and this notion of divorce. They tend to think it's one and the same. Sure. But divorce, from a lawyer's perspective, a family lawyer's perspective, it, it's the legal status of one's relationship. You know, if you are married, that's that's, and then you you want to end that, then you get divorced, and um, that annuls the the legal status of that relationship. Yeah. So, um, it's advisable that people do, although. There are people who separate and they are married and they just don't do anything about it. They just they say, well, why do I need to get divorced? There's a lot of things that apply with you know state succession law yep. that is you know advisable, which you'll be aware of. You know yep. about doing you know getting that that um, legal status you know determined yep. and, and nullified. Um, but in terms of of, of getting a, a divorce uh, as to the legal status, yeah, you. 
you, you've got a there is a requirement associated with doing that. You've got to be separated for at least twelve months okay. before you can lodge that application. Um, and then once that has been done, subject to there not being any other issues raised by the parties, it's just a an application process where you lodge it with the court, and yep. the court will determine it um, on a case by case basis. But uh, yeah, that, the, the the first. Uh, requirement is that there's a separated parties have separated for at least twelve months, and obviously there's the, 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 the both parties have to agree and sign off on on the mean divorce, or is there a case where uh, not necessarily? So you know you can as an individual you can lodge an application um, jointly, so but both parties can agree and say, yep, yep we've separated, we've divorced, and we want to get divorced. You know we want to one of us wants to remarry, say, and yep. so you can both both jointly lodge an application. But there are circumstances where parties can, without knowing what the party uh, wants to do, you know, you could lodge an application as a sole application and, you know, commence the ball rolling yourself without, as I say, knowing what the other party wants to do, whether they agree or not, or whether they're just non-compliant, they just buried their head in the sand yeah. and couldn't care less because they don't want any dealings with the person. Uh, one party can institute and, um, and run through a divorce proceeding without necessarily the consent of the other. Interesting. Yeah. So, I guess the way I kind of think of it is you see in the movies, obviously they send the the divorce papers to, to the, other, sure. the other partner and yeah. say, we haven't signed them yet so we can't get divorced. Sure, and yeah, that's right. But yeah, you do see that. About that yeah, it's yeah. Americanised. Americanised, exactly. <laughs> and so I don't know what how it goes over there, but no, in Australia, yeah, look, it's same thing. You know, you could prepare an application and they've got to be served on the other party. Mm -hmm. um, as long as the party acknowledges or there's proof that that person was given yeah. the application and they're notified about it and they're aware of it and given the opportunity within the appropriate timeframes to dispute it if they want. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter if they don't sign it. it it'll still steam toward that hearing okay. day, um, unless it is they step in and say we don't want it, we don't want the divorce. Yeah. Um, Cancel you know, it. Yeah, just yeah, a bluff. We'll be, just a bluff. Yeah, well, there's there's a there's a reason why we we don't want it. And I don't know why there would be. Well, there are there are a lot of reasons why, but um, you don't see it all that often. But you know, one is someone disputing that they've actually separated for twelve months. It's a yeah. technical argument, but yeah, it doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter. If they don't sign off on it as yeah. such, it'll still proceed unless there's a legal reason why it shouldn't. Interesting. Mm. So the, the, the final one we had, which is probably a bit of a contentious question, I guess, mm -hmm. is, again, probably being Americanized in the movies and everything, yep. that in the event of a divorce, it appears that the females seem to get... Like, I guess that's the sure. general notion of, okay, well, I got divorced, my wife takes... My wife took me for sure. 50%. Is sure, like sure. obviously here and there's obviously yep. the gold digger term and everything gets thrown around. Yeah. Is that the case or is that a myth in terms of... Oh, look, it's... it's it's The, the law does not provide for that to be the outcome. Okay. Um, so it is a myth in that respect. But again, it's all case by case. Yeah. Case by case basis as to how it is that a, a pool will be divided between parties. Um, the law applies the same principles for couple A as they do the couple B, C and D. But again, the ultimate outcome yeah. is just again based on each of those respective couples' um, circumstances of their relationship, the duration, the kids, if yeah. there are any, the contributions that they've made. So, you know, where you might, as just a really uh, big general, mm. where you might find a 50% division of property is in, and although this is not always the case, but where you have a long-term relationship, you know, 10, 15, 20 years or longer, you know, it is yeah. the, the more likely, but, you know, where there's children, that, that 
general situation that you find a long-term relationship, children, uh, contributing to the to the welfare of the parties, both financially and, and for, as a homemaker and caring for the kids, where you have that type of relationship come to an end, you'll find more often than not in that circumstance, there is more likely to be a, a division yeah, okay. in or around that area. Again, yeah. it's all case by sure. case. But as compared to, you know, um, you know, a male or female who come in with a significant income, short-term relationship, so they get married, but it's very short-term, maybe two, three years, wherever it might be. Yeah. Zero contributions from the other party. Um, the other party's brought everything in. Uh, the other one's just enjoyed the benefit of the lifestyle, whatever <laughs> it might be. In that circumstance, again, it's not, again, clear. It's all case by case, Gen- yeah, but generalised it's not going to be a situation where more often than not that, that would be a 50-50 split. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Um, the law has provisions and steps to apply to figure out the answer to it. But yeah, the notion that just simply because you're married that all yeah. of a sudden it's going to be split 50-50, no, that's not, that's not, yeah, it's a bit of a myth. Okay. But, you, but unfortunately, <laughs> you, know, you, you hear it, you see it and... Um, you know, you have conversations with people and I think stories get a little bit kind of, you know, changed over oh, time. Definitely. But definitely. Um, yeah, at the end of the day, the Lord does not say it's just straight 50-50, particularly yeah. here in Australia, it doesn't. Okay. Yeah. Myth, myth busted. Myth, got, yeah, got that's it. it. That's it. Depends on who you speak with though. <laughs> yeah, sure. As I said, contentious, very contentious. Yeah. Uh, very contentious question. And obviously given now same-sex marriage and all those things just makes it again probably even more um, yeah, yeah look yeah to some degree you know again same sex um, mm-hmm. again it's it, it there's no there's no different uh, laws uh, or different rules for couples yep. whether it's um, you know uh, heterosexual or, or, or same sex whatever it might yep. be it's all um, they're all the same they're all the same yep. um, but yeah again it's all just about the <laughs> it's all about the circumstances sure. and then the stories you hear so yep. yeah excellent all right, well, we've got a couple of final questions that we try and get through all our guests. Um, sure. Feel free to pass it at any time. But okay. um, given the fact you've been a lawyer for a long period of time, yep. business owner for the last 12 months, yep. um, how has your, or if they have, how has your beliefs or behaviours changed around money as you've got older? Um, I think the... In terms of uh, my personal beliefs, you know, uh, I don't. Uh, everything that I've been taught is, is, I suppose, to some degree true. You know, the whole notion of saving, and obviously, when you're a kid, you don't want to save; you just want to spend. And yeah. so, I think throwing a family to the mix and understanding the importance of being able to support support family and keep roofs over the head and food on the table, it makes sense. You know, not being necessarily be frugal, but not to be, you know, carefree, as it were. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think. Uh, I just, that's more of a, an understanding that, yeah, what you're told in so far as making sure that you're careful with your money is, yep. yeah, it's extremely important. Yeah. And that um, decision, obviously, to go become self-employed, yep. obviously, it's a, it's a big decision to make. Yeah. Probably a lot easier for people to make when there's no kids or family involved. 100%, yeah. I assume that was, wasn't something you, you made lightly to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit my corporate job. And... Yeah, that's it, exactly. You know, from where I was um, and, and uh, the practice that I was based, you know, it was a, a very good practice. It was well well known. And, um, and, and in terms of my position there, you know, I'd worked my way up to a point where, um, you know, financially it was pretty comfortable. Um, yeah, it was, it was uh, not an easy decision to make. Um, but in the same breath, it was because of what it is that I wanted to achieve yeah. and what I believed that I was able to do. 
Um, but you are right, yeah, the, those pressures of having a family do make that decision a lot harder because sure. it's not just thinking about yourself. You tend to be able to, you know, easily survive if you're looking after yourself. It yeah. becomes a little bit different when you're, you know, you've got a sense of responsibility when you're dealing and helping out other people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, was a, it, was, it was hard in that regard, but it wasn't hard in the same yeah. for other reasons. Excellent. Yeah. Um, best money advice you've ever received? Best money advice I've ever received um, is from my from my father, um, and and that is it's not what you earn, it's what you save. Excellent. Um, I've I remember hearing that as a kid and and kind of understanding it and and kind of realizing it pretty early in in, 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 in my life, which I'm pretty happy about. But more so now, it's you know it's it's really not about. How much it is? Sorry, did I say earn? Or my spend? What did I say? It's how much what, you earn? How much you save? Yeah, yeah. So sorry, that's right. I just for some reason thought I had a bit of a brain snap. But yeah, the <laughs> saying is, it's not what you earn, it's what you save. So yeah, yeah it's so important, you know. And just in, in, in its simplest form, you know, uh, you don't have to have a, you know, um, you know, a big office as it were, and spend all of this money on the cost associated with fitting it out and mm. associated with the overheads. You know, if you can work in a much more cheaper way, that's 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 the best way of being able to to, to live by that saying. About it's not necessarily about you might earn a lot, but if you're yeah. spending it, it doesn't make any difference. It's about where you can keep savings, and it's not about that whole typical money in bank and saving it that way. It's just about where you can save on your expenses. Sure. You know, that's it applies across the board. Excellent. Yeah, love it. So going on from that, any money-saving tips or hacks that you can recommend? For money tips or hacks and saying, without having to say the same advice, which would be the starting point. It's not what you earn, it's what you save. Yeah. But money tips or hacks, oh, I'm sorry, I don't know if i Ride your bike to work. Ride your bike to work, yeah. <laughs> work on the basis of trying to um, lower, your, lower your carbon footprint. And if you can yeah. do that, not only are you doing the right thing by... The world, but I think you're also saving a lot of money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, thanks, mate. That, I'll, I'll take that <laughs> I'll one. Take that I'll one. use that one. Right, right. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, exactly. You wake up tomorrow, you want a million bucks. What's the first thing you do? Yeah. First thing you buy. Oh, that's a good question. First thing I do, I tell my wife. It's a good start. Yeah, it's a good you're start. You're not going to hide that. I'm one. Not going to hide that one. Yeah, <laughs> for, the, for the pending property settlement. Um, no, so I'd tell her, and then first thing, first thing you'd buy, geez, what would you buy? You'd go crazy, wouldn't you? Um, oh my God, what would you do? Oh, you put me on the spot. Go on a holiday, maybe. Yeah. Let's just do that. That's what we'd do. Spend it on the family. Any, any major destinations that come to mind? Ooh, I haven't done Europe yet, so that, that would have to be it. Yeah, I'd say Europe. Every, everywhere. Everywhere in Europe. Italy. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks very much for being on board. No problem. Any, um, or where's the best place people can find out more about you and, and your services? Um, yeah, look online, um, just on my website, macadamfamilylaw.com.au. That's the best place. Um, and details are all on there, so that would be your best starting point. Excellent. Yeah. Any final tips or suggestions? Um, final tips or suggestions? Oh, geez. No. <laughs> Sorry to be boring. Um, I don't know. No, be good. <laughs> That's it. Be a good person. You'll be fine. Excellent. That's it. All right. Well, thanks, mate. Thanks good. for being on board. No problem at all. Appreciate it. Thanks for checking out another episode of the Young Money Podcast. If you have any feedback or any questions about this episode, please let me know by messaging me on Instagram. 
as well as any suggestions for future guests for this podcast. Let me know who you'd like me to interview and the topics that you would like me to cover. All the links to Rowan's website and socials will be found in the show notes below and you can check out the full show notes at rossmaray.com forward slash podcast. Hope you have a great day. If you've enjoyed this episode of the Young Money Podcast, make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest episodes and feel free to leave a like, comment and share it with a friend. 